My name is Garrett Smith. Uh, I figured that, that was a, that is a good totally rhyme. fine, and that one, but that one is like so irrelevant that I don't even know how to yeah. explain it to our guest. You know what I mean? I, I just happened real quick in my head, but uh, yes, Perfect. welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope everybody's having a, a wonderful week. And, and uh, I know, let's get into it. You want to bring in our guest? Yeah, um, so we are joined today by a guy that Dan and I met a couple of years ago at uh, Puff, the Philadelphia Unnamed Film Festival. Uh, he had a movie there called Charismata that uh, I was a big fan of. I think Dan was as well. Um, welcome to yeah, the show. Yeah, I still get mad at the ending. Because <laughs> I just, I'm like, oh, no! <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, welcome to the show, Andy. Uh, you know what, Andy? I just realized, Collier? Collier? Co- one more yeah. time for me. Uh, Andy Collier. Collier. All right. Andy Collier. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show. And Andy is the director of currently available now, Sacrifice, uh, starring, you know, one of, one of my faves, one of my all-time faves, Barbara Crampton. Oh, yes. Goddess amongst humans, Barbara <laughs> Crampton. Yeah. yeah. He was awesome. <laughs> Man. Andy, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the show. We finally got you on. We've been talking about doing this for years uh, <laughs> since we spent a weekend with you with your other movie. Uh, so this is very exciting. It takes a long time to get money for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember... It been on two years ago, but never mind. <laughs> I think it was two years ago I had taken a trip overseas. And I talked to you real quick. And I said, oh, you want to meet up for a beer? And you said, I'm actually in the process of obtaining and building tentacles. Uh, <laughs> and I'm assuming that was for this movie, Sacrifice, which has some prominent tentacles in it. Well, I, I collect tentacles anyway, don't we all? But yeah, that was <laughs> <laughs> uh, d- Did you go to the Kennington Lane Cafe for a heart attack breakfast, Dan? I did not, but I did have... Pretty much every day that I was there, I went to a different location and got the full English. Um, it was incredible, and I have never been more regular in terms of my digestion and uh, uh, excavation, we'll call it. I've never been more regular. The influx of beans and stewed tomatoes, and just all, it was it was awesome. I've never breakfasted better than I did when I was in, like, I, I was in King's Cross. But, I yeah, I've never breakfasted better in my life. Uh, so Andy, I'm very excited to have you here because I got to see your movie Sacrifice. I'm and I'm a big fan of your movie Charismata, by the way. Uh, I, I know we've talked about that a few times, but I, I really, really like that movie. And so I've been looking forward to another Andy Collier picture uh, for a while, and was not disappointed by Sacrifice, which has a sort of similar, I would say, like dark sense of humor about it to Charismata, which is one of the things I like about your movies. Um, but I wanted I to... would say a very similar uh, oh! ending, too, yeah. that, where, where it really got me, which is, once again, a compliment. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you didn't both hate it. That could have made the podcast awkward. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so you directed both of these movies with Tormian. Do I have that uh, name correct? Uh, he doesn't know how to pronounce it. He says Mian. <laughs> yeah, okay, gotcha. But he, he also says that's not how his father pronounces it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, and, and so you directed both of these movies uh, with Tor. Is that, that, that's right, yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, Charismata, he also did first AD work. Okay. Uh, for some reason. I, I advised him not to, but he did. And, and on, on Sacrifice, <laughs> on sacrifice I, I did the cinematography. Yeah, uh, because we, we spent a long time. We probably spent six months working out a really detailed shot list and a color palette that we had to we had to mostly scrap um, b- because well, you might have seen some, you might have noticed some similarities to the to the the color out of space, the Nick Cage uh-huh. movie. Uh-huh. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but kind of we, we were 
the, the original conception for that was we were going to make like a pastel purple pink Suspiria. Yeah. Which kind of symbolized the presence of Cthulhu and was weird all the time. But when we were about to grade it, we saw the trailer for the color out of space and thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> 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 because they did exactly the same thing and it looked like some sort of asylum mockbuster attempt. So we had to really, I phoned the grader in who's actually in Norway and said, like, scrap everything, like, take the paper <laughs> as far as possible. Oh, that's funny. Cause I, I mean, I, honestly, though, where you landed is pretty cool because yeah. there is a distinct departure from the more fantastical sequences, uh, some which I think could be referred to as dream sequences, and the real world stuff kind of have a pretty stark difference. And having that visual cue made it really a lot of fun to watch, especially, and I struggle to remember the lead character's name, um, uh, but especially as she is... Uh, uh, you know, when she has dreams that, that have popping, you know, terrifying moments, you can always be cued by the sort of neon color palette. And I, I really appreciated having that distinction as I moved through the story. So I think whatever you landed on, even if it was by accident, it fucking works. <laughs> so. well, Richard Stanley maybe did it as a big favor then by having the same idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually... Sorry, go, go ahead, Andy, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, and the other big kind of curveball that the world threw us when we were shooting was was we set this in Norway to be different and and having like a folk horror in Scandinavia seemed like a really cool idea but then the, it was like the day we got to Norway um uh, Midsommar was announced and I, oh God. <laughs> so what would have been completely original like folk horror in Norway never been done now you know that's been done well <laughs> but I think I think we were suitably I mean, I, I deliberately didn't watch Midsommar until we completely finished the movie. Yeah. So we finished the movie, when did we finish it? Like April last year or something? You know, and then watch Midsommar and, and kind of their Wicker Man influence is much, you know, <laughs> they, they embrace it, whereas we tried to move away from it. So, so uh -huh. we tried to deliberately be the opposite of the Wicker Man, whereas they were, yeah, let's make it lots of flowers and sunny and bright and nice. So, so, so luckily the two films you know, don't have any resemblance. Yeah, yeah. I would certainly say that the the elements of horror that come from each, uh, like, they induced fear in completely different ways. So I think you were successful in divorcing yourself from Midsommar. Um, that one, you know, I think the, the, uh, the, the foreign nature of everything is where the horror comes from. And I feel like the horror in Sacrifice is a little bit more rooted in, like, the actual mythology of it. Um, I, don't, I, I felt fear differently for each of them. So I would say it was a great success, even if you're playing in the same, uh, I would say sandbox, but no, if you're playing in the same uh, lake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah. You know... yeah, and not watching it, and I think Tor didn't watch it either. I'm not sure whether the editor did, but, but not watching it was a deliberate choice because we didn't want to either be influenced or, or be negatively influenced. We, we, like, if, if something was in our movie that looked very Midsommar, then we probably want to take it out or change it or something. So we just wanted to be pretend that film didn't exist and then, and then watch it. Mm -hmm. Well, I also, I, I think that's a smart move. Oh, well, I was just going to say as, as a film critic, one rule that I have is before I write a review, I will not read any, anyone else's reviews. I don't read anybody's reviews of a film I'm reviewing until after I've written my piece for the same reason, because I don't want to either be influenced by it or trying to to you know be distanced from it, both of which end up manifesting in the review, and it's better like ignorance is so much better in that in the creative front. Yeah, so I think it's a yeah. smart move. And uh, you know, your movie is a movie about coming home or or feeling at home, and that is kind of the the polar opposite goalpost from what Midsummer is about and what Midsummer uses these landscapes and locations for so i i do think it actually like ends up being a, a kind of uniquely interesting like polar opposite to that movie you know Ooh. yeah yeah i think that's right um and, and i actually one of the things i i did like and I, i'm i'm curious since you said you did shot list it only to find out you kind of had to like almost go another direction with it last second i really liked things like um the way that um I think it's Barbara Crampton's house looks like the exterior shots of it are like gorgeous. The windows kind of glow this like faint golden color. 
yeah. don't know. There's something really you could tell that like there was a lot of care taken and put into some of those like um, establishing shots and exteriors and stuff. So it's kind of interesting to hear you say you had to like last second be like, well, actually, uh, it needs to look this other way because it looks <laughs> so meticulously crafted to me. Yeah, I mean, we, we did keep the we kept the lighting contrast for like house lights. So yeah. when you saw those, when you saw the Barbara's Evil Dead cabin, um, yeah. I set like all the internal lights. They weren't tungsten; they were kind of one one warmer, like they were candle coloured. You know, yeah, so yeah. It's, and the moon was ridiculously blue <laughs> because, <laughs> because Cthulhu. You know, yeah, so yeah. so we got that real colour contrast everywhere, and and the locations where we shot was was awesome. Like we found that place by accident when we were going location scouting. Um, and, and then and then we were just driving around. Look at that evil dead cabin, <laughs> you know. And then, <laughs> okay, so so Holstein, the line producer, he just kind of looked on his some some sort of Norwegian app that says you can find out who owns every house in Norway and get uh-huh. exactly, you know, so basically, location scouting the, the main house and said, Oh, that looks great, and then. Holstein got out of the car and made two phone calls and said, right, I've spoken to the owner. We can hire it for a month. <laughs> and then... Holy oh, right on. Yeah, and then the Evil Dead cabin, it was pretty much the same thing. It's like Barbara's house. That's and that, amazing. Yeah, that thing was crazy. It was like, they use it for a, a festival called Indie Fjord that they hold there. That's the headquarters. And it's it's every, pretty much everything you saw in that in that house was already in there. We just like kind of rearranged it, you know, and it was the creepiest place ever. And there were holes in the floor so you could fall through to the basement if you weren't careful. You know, and and due to time constraints, we had to leave like two hundred thousand dollars of movie equipment in there overnight. So so I slept there overnight and it was <laughs> the creepiest night's sleep I've ever had. <laughs> That's what. That's so, incredible, though. Probably informs making the movie. You're like, okay, now I'm scared. Let's make a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about that because I, you know, to me, I the one of the big standout things in this movie is the locations. I, I really thought it was just like it just it was beautiful scenery and locations. And so, was all of it shot in Norway? With like the whole picture is is a Norway shoot, or or where what where did you shoot? We built the interior for their bedroom in London in a okay. in studio. Uh, the, for, so what was it? The bedroom and the bathroom. So, you know, there's the shots in the bathroom. And so because we needed to get cameras around, we couldn't shoot yep. those in always. So we were in the studio for a week. And I, and I think the art team did a really good job because it's hard to tell it's not the same place. I, I, would, mm-hmm. I would have had no idea had you not just told me. I, I would have assumed the whole thing was shot, you know, on location. Yeah, I think there's. I think from the exterior, there's one window that doesn't work, but we'll just pretend that's kind of a, you know, a, a, the shining type thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say. Confusing, but but otherwise, I think it looks good. Yeah, I think it works really well. It really does. Um, and yeah, so- the look of this is very strong. I I like the idea of sort of an isolated geographical area serving, oftentimes in a similar shot both an overwhelming beauty as well as an overwhelming like man i feel small inside this giant you know sort of wild exterior uh really fantastically yeah. done yeah and lot, lots of shots we shot with a long lens so so there were the mountains in the background and no sky so it feels kind of claustrophobic yeah, that, that. yeah despite being so expansive yeah it's uh, to have that duality i think leads to that sort of like grumblies in my tumbly uh that, that you can't even really put a finger on where you're just i feel uh out of place and, and you know you can really get away with a lot just by putting that feeling in a viewer then you know everything is up for grabs in terms of making them feel scared it's it's awesome yeah yeah and, and we actually one of the reasons we went to norway and we we're looking for somewhere like that I mean, Garrett, I, I think there's that movie, Rock, 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 the Icelandic movie. I think that was playing at Puck when I met you. And, and kind of the cinematography on that was awesome, but it was shot in Iceland. And ca- clearly the cinematography was basically, point the camera that way, it looks great. So, yeah. so, so that, that gave us inspiration to find somewhere similar. So just point the camera in the right direction and it would look cool. What was the, what, you cut out a little bit there. What movie were you referencing at Puff? Uh, Rock or, or in English, it's The Rift. Yeah. Yes, remember? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, okay. That was a cool movie, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and interestingly, or maybe not interestingly, but it is to me, um, Old Norse, but basically modern Icelandic, they changed their language a little bit like 50 years ago. So it was really close to Old Norse because oh. I guess they're proud of being Vikings. So, so the little bits of Old Norse that are in there, I actually spoke to the director of Rokur and, <laughs> and he told me the modern Icelandic and we pretended that was Viking language. And oh, wow. pretty much is. That, that's, that's wild. So I mean, yeah. if I had Vikings in my heritage, I would be very, very, very proud of it. I probably would never shut up about it. People would be like, hey, what's your name? Be like, Dan, I have a Viking heritage. Ah, you know, it would definitely be something I'd be proud of. Because that, as it is, I'm from Kentucky, Kentucky. So it's like, uh, we, I don't know, uh, we, we moved moonshine. That's all I got. No Vikings. Andy, one of my favorite things is like finding all these like interesting connections that uh, Puff has granted a bunch of like filmmakers and, and different people. Like we have had the opportunity to talk to a lot of cool filmmakers because of Madeline and her festival. It's very cool to hear that you ultimately ended up connecting with another filmmaker from Puff in order to get, you know, and help you finish this movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's cool. I mean, that's one of the good things about going to film festivals because you never know what connections might lead to something yeah this is very mm -hmm. good. like this one like an interesting podcast yeah. <laughs> uh, are we interesting Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, i wanted to ask uh at the in the credits the opening i noticed that it says it was inspired by the short story men of the cloth by paul kane and the works of hp lovecraft um i'm familiar with hp lovecraft i think the influences are very much on i mean tentacles that's where it's at can you talk a little bit about that short story that this is based on? Yeah. Um, did, did either of you ever read it? I don't think so. No, okay. I, I did not read it. I was trying to hunt it down, okay. and um, I just have not had a chance to read it. I can probably get you a copy. I mean, after Carrie's Martyr, which you'll remember was kind of quite ambitious, it was shot in London in a bunch of locations, we wanted to do a small, easy, cabin-in-the-woods two-header. And uh -huh. so we were looking like a really small contained easy to shoot you know no budget problems horror film and i was just we couldn't think of anything original so i was just like reading a bunch of novels and short stories and i really like paul's story uh which we, we we changed it from based on to inspired by because with each draft and after we went to norway we got further and further away from paul's story um and, naturally yeah yeah and so the in the end, whereas the the mood's the same, and it's a family goes home to husband's roots, and weird things happen. So there's a clear parallel, but but the story elements there were lots of differences. Um, I mean, it, it, and also in his in his story, it's a bit like it's a bit like a children of the corn type thing, you know, this, this Stephen King idea where there's the jolly green giant who's an evil god. It's a similar thing, but in Paul's story, it was it was like fabrics. So he was like the jolly green, green giant of wool. <laughs> but it makes, it makes sense. Uh, right, well, so that, that, the title certainly takes on resonance then, Men of the Cloth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like a cult based around this evil wool god or, you know, and, and it's a similar story. But at the end, the conclusion is that they turn the kids into these scarecrows that are everywhere. Like they build the kids into the scarecrows. And in the conclusion, the scarecrows come alive and go on a murderous rampage. Which, which, which made our idea to keep it low budget. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't, we can't have rampaging, murderous, zombie scarecrows because you know, it, it, without without that that shot costing like two million dollars, it'll just look. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we took that away, and then we moved closer and closer to really the one Lovecraft story is the Call of Cthulhu. And yeah. and although although you can't really I mean story wise it's 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 nothing the same but kind of the ideas of kind of people making people having lots of nightmares and hallucinations and making frenzied art and lots of the art pieces that we used in there they were uh, you know it's it's from the the universe that's in the Call of Cthulhu. Oh okay, interesting. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, I love. I think the thing that always scares me about Lovecraft is like I, I'm pretty terrified of of the ocean uh, because sea creatures freak me out because they're so foreign. 
And so, you know, Lovecraftian stuff really taps into the idea of this is so otherworldly, you can almost barely even comprehend it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that aspect comes through really strongly, especially in those dream sequences and sacrifice where, you know, like you were saying, Garrett, this guy is home. And for and I, I looked up her name for Emma. Uh, this is not home at all. This is foreign. And as these things come in from the periphery of like exceptionally foreign, even foreign to this world, let alone foreign to her, you know, her own ethnocentric sense. Uh, yeah, that that really taps into that same type of fear that Lovecraft uh, tends to put forward. But yeah, I would love to read that Paul Kane story. I it seems to get it. I would have to order it on Amazon. Uh, so I, which I have not done yet. Um, but I. I Scare, zombie scarecrows sold. I'm totally into that <laughs> idea. I want to read it. Yeah, that sounds did, great. We, we did keep a little bit of scarecrow or not action in there, but you know, the, the, there was there was an obvious kind of callback to that in the movie. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and, and, I um, like I yeah. like that idea of the scarecrows in your movie. By the way, I, I, that that actually is like one of the really compelling kind of I- images like that has lingered for the past couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of tried to make the finale obvious. You know, it's kind of it's a straight line to it. It's an obvious conclusion, you know, and, and sort of like positioning his head around <laughs> a few times. You know, so, so, <laughs> so the ending shouldn't have been a huge surprise. Uh, you know, it actually it worked for me on both levels. It did kind of surprise me because I think I was just enjoying the movie so much that I wasn't really... I just wasn't looking for it to really twist around in any way. So when it did, I was like, oh, but then when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of, yeah. of course, that's what happens. The, those are the established rules. Yeah. yeah. We have not <laughs> deviated from the established rules of all with his lineage. Yeah. And I don't know why I expected something different, but kudos to the way it's arranged that I really did not see yeah. that final moment coming. Um, which is cool. I think that lends to yeah. rewatchability too, because I'll be able to watch it again and really kind of parse out, you know, what information, you know, is is being given to me straight up that I just didn't have the wherewithal to receive. And I also, to your credit, Andy, spent most of the movie, my partner and I both, the whole time, being like, "This fucking guy, man, come on!" And so then when <laughs> then when the ending happened, we were both like, "Oh, yay, okay." <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ludo did a great job of being hateful. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He was uh, hateful, yeah. and I had to laugh because he had a crazy chest hair situation going on. <laughs> right off the bat, I saw his like chest hair cover. I was like, man, that's that's wild. This guy's hairy in a crazy way. Um, neither a compliment or 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 uh, an insult. It was just something I noticed. I went, oh, look at that. I, uh, I I liked your cast quite a bit here, here Andy. Like he, he really does work as a character that you kind of love to hate, uh, which you know makes the movie pretty entertaining to watch. Um, and uh, then um, I want to make sure I get the actress's name, Sophie Stevens. So- Sophie uh, Stevens, yeah. She's like a great counter to him, I think. Like it, it is pretty fun to watch there, especially because um, you kind of let them both. Um, exist in a bit of a gray area as far as where your sympathies might lie over the course of the movie. I think they both kind of contribute to a bit of toxicity within their relationship. Um, at, at least once the nightmares start anyway, you know, uh, and I, I don't know. I kind of liked that space that you allowed both of them to, to play around in. Um, yeah. I'm glad you said that because that's what we were aiming for. And and we spent not a huge amount of time, but we did a few, a few, Maybe a week of rehearsals between casting and shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're all based in London then, so it was quite easy to do. So, so I mean, <laughs> we had rehearsals in the evenings when Sophie and Ludo weren't working at my house, because which was luckily in the middle <laughs> between both of them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so right on. A bit of time working on the characters, and that that was that was fine. Yeah, it worked out well. Yeah, and, I, I really and, thought Sophie was exceptional. I, I thought her performance was really tip top. I. I she she like wore the physical uh, difficulty of being pregnant very well, and through that was to be able to like really create this character that felt quite strong, because she's not just dealing with this external forces, but also this just physical incapacitation of being with child. I, I think she really had a lot of heavy lifting to do, and and really nailed it. I was very impressed with her performance. 
Good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think, yeah, that, that was um, a lucky bit of casting. I mean, we really, we cast her because the casting for that character is really difficult. And we got, we got down to five actresses who all had pros and cons. Um, but I, I think Sophie was inherently a really nice, really kind of, you know, charismatic person. Is charismatic the right word? I mean, kind of like sympathetic. You know, mm. she, she was, you know, mm-hmm. like her, you know, and which is quite useful for the character. <laughs> so yeah. she was kind of playing herself in a way, but pregnant and in a horror movie. <laughs> mm. I mean, her going from being, you know, the, the term kept woman is very strong and I don't think applies here, but her going from, you know, kind of being along for the ride of this trip to then having to kind of assert herself to, to you know, get out of it was a really compelling arc to watch. And and she just did a really wonderful job with it overall. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, and then, got, of course, Barbara Crampton is yeah. just in this this inhuman goddess who lives amongst us mere mortals. Yeah, and I, well, uh, I, I imagine she's wonderful to work with. I just yeah. can't love her more than I do. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, she, she is. Um, you know, people always say, oh, it was great to work with them. But ge- genuinely, she was awesome. You know, and she, she worked really hard for the role. And, you know, she, she actually took Norwegian accent lessons in, in uh-huh. San Francisco before she came you know and, and she wanted because because she was kind of the leader she wanted her accent to be kind of more norwegian and more old school than everybody else's you know yeah, so, yeah. So, she, uh... you know, so she did that and actually like the actors we used they you know <laughs> because we, we did the casting in london there aren't that many scandi actors so, so we had swedes norwegians mm-hmm. a, at least one day so so it's quite so you'll, you'll hear that the, the native accents nobody's got the same accent in there <laughs> mm. but they're all, they're all that's kind of cool though and barbara's the most scandy but but it's kind of like you know that there's who's danish i think the boat captain's danish and the, the, like the sing song accent. You know? oh yeah that's kind of cool though because i think it lends itself to this idea of like this is a foreign place like it you know even like the the inconsistency with that window you were talking about these yeah. things almost subconsciously add to this this uh feeling of of uh i don't want to say discomfort but this feeling of you know kind of just being an other like you can't understand necessarily what's going on because there's no there's no consistency to this world that you find yourself in and having a sea of variety accents uh can sort of serve that well, and to Dan's uh, previous point about her being an inhuman goddess, she actually is like tremendously perfect casting for this role of like she's the leader of this kind of cult that kind of does this like horrible thing like once a generation. And uh, it it makes sense to me that this young man is drawn back home and kind of more significantly and easily upon meeting the inhumanly beautiful woman that runs the cult. You know what I mean? Like he meets this like beautiful woman and her beautiful she's daughter. She's also the first and person so who's immediately kind. Yes. She's like immediately kind to both of them. Whereas like in that bar scene, it's not until they know of his lineage that things yeah. stop being real fucking tense. But yeah, she's <laughs> like immediately nice and is therefore that much scarier because, you know, niceness can get you through the door. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that that was yeah. We, we wanted to to make her really ambiguous, and and that's kind of the point of the story, isn't it? That that mm. they didn't choose Cthulhu. Cthulhu was there first, and <laughs> they make the best of this shitty situation. Yes. So she she's kind of the school head teacher rather than a classical cult leader who loves it. You know, it's it's her right. job. It's it's a job. Yeah, that yeah that's true. Yeah. yeah, and it's, she's like the sheriff, so it is like she keeps the peace. Be it, yeah. you know, keeping crime down or keeping Cthulhu <laughs> sated. <laughs> yeah, She's kind of a good cop, in, in yeah. a way. <laughs> she, um, I and actually, uh, on that note of Cthulhu, the um, the water imagery that runs through your movie is like very strong. I think, and and some of my favorite scenes are just when we are in those kind of floating water spaces. How how did you achieve some of that? I, I've always been curious when I see shots of like a character fully submerged. Like, 
what it is filmmakers are doing to uh, to to shoot and capture that. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we shot that shot you're talking to, talking about in in um, a, a studio in near London. Um, in I forget. I think it's called the Underwater Film Studio. So it's it's it's, it's easy to find on Google. Um, <laughs> they, they shot on there, and they also shot forty seven meters down there. Okay. Oh, right on. I love that movie. It's actually six meters deep, so that, that, that was a lie, but it's it, it probably six meters deep. Um, yeah, and so where, where he was really deep, so it was only six meters, but we just kind of got some divers underwater to, to, to film him. We just made yeah. sure that, you know, we, we blacked out the background, made sure that <laughs> we couldn't see any edges and then just drunk him in, in, in VFX. Like there were there were very few digital effects in the movie, but that was one of the Okay. Yeah, we didn't actually submerge nice. forty seven meters down in <laughs> in the fjord. That makes sense. That's uh, so cool. Yeah, there was a shot towards the beginning, I think it's in a dream sequence where Isaac is laying and the water starts to engulf him and yeah. then it like slowly covers his face and goes in his nose and I shuddered. Because that freaked my shit hard. Water going into his nose. It was a very, very upsetting image. So compliments to the chef on that one. Because I was uh, very, very upset by it. That one, that one, we, I think it was a bathtub. That we, it was, it was the bathtub that we got. Right? And, and basically, so we, we suspended the camera right above the head. We, we put the pillow, we, we put the pillow from, from the bed in. And the first time we, we tested it, mm. the pillow, because pillows are lighter than water it kind of flipped up and turned around oh. so, like, so we put like metal inside the pillow and then we had like 10 people stood around the bathtub each with a big bucket and and the the ink water it was it was it was the food coloring that you used to that you to make cola <laughs> so basically oh we put cola food coloring i think you put a little bit of like starch in to make it a bit thicker and just kind of like, yeah three <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> honestly that's the best way to do it anytime you can make something like that happen in camera it is infinitely more effective than you know doing that in post we always talk about that on the show and the reason being you get the reaction like what i had when that inky water's going into his nose i was so creeped and that's so much better than trying to do that digitally or trying to work your way around it and i'm sure it sucks to have to ask an actor like all right hold your breath it's coming but it really does, you know, the proof's in the pudding. It, it really works. Uh, what else did we shoot? Yeah, lots of the shots looking up at Sophie, like from the bottom of the wash basin or whatever. We, Ross made some, like, effectively fish tanks, but some tanks out of Perspex. And there was <laughs> one of those shots. You know, he, he, like, fits these, like, really glass panels together. To, uh, and and uh, I was putting water in so we could submerge a face. <laughs> she's mm. deep because she, she can't get a face in deep enough and ross is like don't put any more water in because i think the tank might burst and I, so i said one more bucket <laughs> so we poured one more bucket in and the tank exploded and like 20 <laughs> fell onto the camera which was right underneath looking up and so but the camera assistant kind of dived under and did like a football tackle got the camera <laughs> slid out and saved it <laughs> you know? oh that's and, close and then, trust your prop master. <laughs> and then, and then it was a bit like the the acid blood from Alien because this we this load of water entered out in this kitchen, and the line producer was like, "We're gonna have to pay for this." And then we ran downstairs, <laughs> and it's coming through the ceiling downstairs, and going through to the next floor. So we ran downstairs again, and it was coming through to the next floor. Oh my god, that's incredible! Oh, I love it though. That's that's like man, that's the value of having a good crew. <laughs> you should make a movie about you should make a movie about this story that was horrifying to hear yeah yeah noises off but on the stage of of sacrifice yeah <laughs> um uh oh the other thing i mean i you may not have a great answer for this i'm not sure but uh the uh the very very opening of the movie which is just some incredible smoke effects what what's going on there? What do you, what do you got going on there? That was incredible. I loved watching the the smoky colors. Um, yeah, I think that worked really well. Um, I, I guess that was done in my kitchen. <laughs> and okay. it, obviously, inking water is kind of squiddy relevant. You know, yeah. I'm originally 
originally before Richard Stanley ruined our plan, it was the film was called The Colour of Madness. You know, oh, and so wow. these weird colours came in. And how we shot that, we just yeah. we we put a black background behind another one of Ross's magic fish tanks and literally got some syringes with coloured ink and kind of went one, two, three, and then fired them into the water and filmed it in slow motion. So I it can't was like that. it was like a lava lamp. And and then and then it, it looked okay, but then I, I had the genius idea of just flipping it vertically in post. Okay. So rather, that's all we did. That's all. The, the only effect there was turning the picture upside down. So rather than ink, oh, wow. it kind of grew like some sort of weird fungus. So that, yeah, cool. That looks really cool. Yeah, it's I, super effective. I you know I, I have an, uh, uh, an affinity for just like very uh, colorful, just kind of nonsense like that, and I was like. I love whatever this is. I love it. Like I just, so I, that is incredible to hear that that was just something you did in your kitchen. <laughs> we actually had a, a filmmaker on here recently that had the exact same process for, he did a horror movie that is entirely done with puppets. And we asked him about the effects of how he created these storm clouds for the backdrop of, of this, you know, storming a castle sequence. And it was the exact same thing. He was like, yeah, it was in my kitchen. <laughs> I just had some shit to, to mix and filmed it and slowed it down and, that was it. And it was, it's the same kind of thing where if that was done, you know, if that was done in, in, you know, Photoshop, it would look like shit, but yeah. doing it just actual ink and water, it, it ends up feeling so much more tactile and so much more, it just feels so much more tangible and real that even without any context for the horror yet, seeing those ink squirts ends up leaving you unsettled before we have any sort of context to the story. And it's all just because it's tactile. So yeah, that's amazing. Cool. The other thing we shot the same day in my kitchen was, you know, there's one shot where an egg tumbles down into the fjord. Yes. And kind of, and, kind of, and that matched the shot in the kitchen of she boiling eggs in a pan. Now, in Norway, you can get white eggs everywhere, and we thought white eggs look cool. And then when we came to shoot shoot the shot of the egg falling, I, like, popped out to get some white eggs. They don't sell them in London. No way. I went, I went, to, I went to at least... 15 supermarkets and why all eggs in london are brown so so i called ross and and the idea he had was buy some brown eggs some london eggs and then get some eggshell paint and paint the egg white <laughs> so that's what we did i mean whatever works <laughs> that is so that's funny incredible. That you had to paint eggs white that is such a funny <laughs> man here if we want brown eggs we have to pay more yeah, like white eggs are the standard, uh, and brown eggs are like the specialty eggs. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Yeah, it was. You know, I've never tried to buy white eggs in London, but I assumed it was doable. But it's like no, nowhere. Wow, so funny. The weirdest, the weirdest hurdles pop up, and they're the ones that you never expect. <laughs> yeah. White eggs, amazing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So, so uh, actually, I went to the paint shop and I'm like Ross, shall I get, shall I get glossed? Matt or eggshell. So that eggshell, that's going to work, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that's, it is... It's funny that it's easier to get eggshell eggshell shaded paint than it is to just get a fucking eggshell. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I wonder if you're the first person in history to buy eggshell white paint to actually paint an eggshell with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. What are the odds? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, we do. I, here at like the supermarket I go to, uh, like white eggs are the standard, and brown <laughs> eggs cost two dollars more because they're like, ooh, special. And I, they're honestly, I don't think any different. But you know, we've tricked ourselves into thinking like, ooh, the brown eggs have better vitamins. <laughs> very, very funny. Yeah, maybe I should have just got a flight to Philadelphia. But, <laughs> but we, next we found, time, you know, we found a quicker version or a quicker solution. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and they wouldn't really keep on the flight, so you know. <laughs> Andy, something I was wondering, and I, I don't. I, this is another one where I'm not sure what kind of answer you might have, but um, is somebody like Barbara Crampton? Is she like the actress that kind of seals the deal on the whole picture? Like you, you get the final funding you need because you've got a, a Barbara Crampton, or is or is it a, is the movie a go? And because you've got a movie that's ready to go, you can get somebody like Barbara Crampton to to sign on to it. Do you kind of? Understand what yeah. I'm asking? In our case, we had the funding. I mean, yeah. like, other than if it's like a top studio movie, there's always a catch twenty two that 
if, if you've got the cast, you can get the yeah. funding. Yeah. So, so often you can't get the funding without the cast, but you can't yeah. get the cast without the funding because they right. don't want to it and they don't want to be like I, I, I know lots of actors who, who don't want to be seen to be attaching themselves to a load of projects and you know and, and kind of effectively producing the movie when they aren't by by their name raises the money um it, it, and it, in this case we, like we we had one i mean we shot this because the funding fell through for another movie that, that we were going to make um and we had because we had the funding, we had like a bunch of decent names lined up, like uh, like one of the main people from one of the main women from Annihilation, mm. who isn't that Natalie Portman, but one of the other ones, and one of the <laughs> kids from one of the kids from uh, Stranger Things. You know, so they were wow. all lined. Up, they were kind of lined up. We had the money, but then the funding the funding dropped out, and then and it's kind of they that they kind of were no longer committed. They said, if you yeah. get the money, we'll be in it, but you can't tell anybody we're in it to try and get the money. <laughs> you know, so we still have it. Uh, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, that was why I was curious, because we we have a friend that's going through getting a movie made, and the casting process seems like it's uh, kind of a nightmare, and especially with how entwined it becomes with the money process. And I was yeah. just kind of curious. Yeah. When, when you've got a name... He ran like, into the same issue, Yeah, where it's like, you know certain people he couldn't get because didn't have the money but then like the people he did get brings a little more money and then it's like you really gotta you know find that that sweet spot yeah but he's got a cast more power yeah. to him yeah yeah do you know josh goldblum he's he's a philly boy isn't he mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he's producing a load of movies now out of philly so, yeah 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 he's um yeah he's the uh dan he's the cinepocalypse uh, yeah. uh guy yeah yeah Oh, yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah. Um, I just and I also think too with with Barbara Crampton is she has definitely over the last few years with her, um, as she sort of seems to have discovered that there is this world of of fans that know her from Reanimator and you know just love seeing her in stuff and add to that the fact that she's a tremendous performer, you know I I think she's very incentivized to just to want to be attached to cool horror projects. And so, you know, even a, a huge celebrity, I say, fuck them. Cause Barbara Crampton is the, the one you want because she's just, she's, you know, brand, brand or no, she is just very much, uh, seems to be embracing the fact that the horror world really loves her. And it, it's just been one of these things that that's mutually exclusive. You know, we we give her our love and she just keeps showing up and everything and doing these real cool roles and drawing attention to, you know, smaller projects. Uh, my God. I mean, can you tell I just have nothing but undying love and respect for her? Yeah. You know, and she and she's really great afterwards as well. You know, like she, she'll. I mean, not this year because of the virus, but, you know, she'd always go to Fright Fest and always go to. You know the, the the big festivals, which which helps the movie a lot because sure. if, if, if if kind of genre celebrities turn up, then the fans love it. So yep. it, it so it helps films get put into important festivals. Having cast having known cast who are happy to turn up. So yeah, she she's awesome. I also think that it gives movies um, you know a really long life. Uh, like, so, you know, my partner and I have been going through, uh, a bunch of different, like old genre actors kind of careers. Cause we like these actors, you know? And so like, we were going through like Pam Greer's movies recently and mm-hmm. I watched a bunch of movies that I probably would not have watched otherwise because I was looking for Pam Greer movies, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, but I, how I, killer was Foxy Brown. That movie is incredible. I loved that movie so much, yeah. but I do, you know, I think that, so having someone like a Barbara Crampton in your movie like instantly gives your movie kind of a long life as a movie. Like it's a movie that will continue to be discovered, you know, years and years and years later over and over again by new and new genre fans. Because I think Barbara Crampton's a name that, you know, uh, like Jamie Lee Curtis, like her mom before her, like she's going to, I don't know, like live on beyond herself, like as a genre star, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I I think from a, from that kind of cynical, if you will, point of view, then Bob, (laughs) Great, great casting, but also artistically, you know, well, one, she looks more Norwegian yes. in the movie. Uh-huh. And, and, and two, I mean, she, she really kind of got the, 
the idea of the movie about people having no control over their own lives and humans being meaningless, you know, which is which is that Lovecraft thing. And I think she she got that and, and worked with it. And also because her she got how nuanced the character was, and I think she played it really well. You know, I think she she did some some really great acting in this. You yes. know, oh role, yeah, the role had more layers than than kind of lots of. Well, not just roles that she's had, but lots of lots of roles in general in movies. I, I think it was a really kind of layered character and a layered performance. So it was, it was, yeah, we were really happy that she did it. The, the way in which she lures um, the main character kind of into her quote unquote trap is so interesting because you can tell that it, it, it's. I mean, it, I'm just repeating what you just said, but you can tell that like she she does not she's not luring this kid in because she wants to quote unquote, like eat or destroy or kill this kid. It, 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 there's yeah, this it's, it's duty bound. Yes. Yes. There's something going on here that, that she's almost working against herself in some way. Uh, but, but to protect her, the people that she cares about. Yeah. It, there's so many layers to that, that she is really definitely in tune with. And that makes it like such an interesting performance to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to the title too, you know, like yeah. a sacrifice is supposed to represent a loss of sorts. And if she's making a sacrifice that is at the cost of a small shred of her humanity in order to kind of keep everything at a basal state, therein is a sacrifice. It's not just Isaac or Sophie or Isaac or uh, Emma making a sacrifice. It is, it goes deeper than that, yeah. which, you know, it would be very easy to make a villain that's just, we will feed the beast. And that's uh, old hat. It's disinteresting. And so it's cool to kind of have that tie into the idea of sacrifice. Cool. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the intention. <laughs> uh, have you right on. Yeah, and you just reminded me of, of uh, I don't know how you reminded me, you just reminded me of some, some of the, you know, we, we called him Isaac for obvious reasons for the, the Bible story about some kid who did or didn't get sacrificed. Right. Yes. No, and she was called Emma after after the Norwegian ship in the Call of Cthulhu. Oh, <laughs> oh, right on. Okay, nice. I didn't make either connection. No, I was just like, oh, I have a friend named Isaac. <laughs> it was like the only thought I had. Uh, oh man, I I had a thought a second ago that uh, that just left my body. It'll it'll come back to me in a minute. Well, there you go. Um, can we talk for a few minutes just about like the soundscape of it? Oh yeah. Um, or, um, is there a composer here? So uh, Tom Linden is listed as the composer. Um, what's weird is in my memory, I don't have any sort of melodic hook that I'm clinging to, but there is sort of an audio feel that I think uh, it captures really strongly, and I, I just wonder what the the idea behind creating the soundscape is. Um, yeah, there's like Tor's idea for the soundtrack was to be kind of a bit weird and and but beautiful, but weird and otherworldly as well. And I, and what's this? and there was an album which is apparently known as the Lovecraft album, and it's by uh, some old like synth music. I forgot what they're called. Not Tangerine Dream, but some old thing. And I'll remember as soon as this call finishes. Um, but 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 we we wanted something kind of beautiful but weird. And Sean, one of the producers, Sean Knott, his he was friends with Tom Linden, and he was telling us for for months that we should use his good friend to do the score. And then Tom Tom composed some just like some little ideas, and and Sean kept trying to make us listen to these ideas and then one day we did and they were awesome you know and they, they, they were just nice worked really well and then, and then the one kind of slightly different scene if you remember was was the skinny dipping scene with the northern lights in the background i mean what yes. some, again we wanted mm. something like really kind of beautiful but otherworldly as well and i think and that's the score there it's that stringy thing with a with the climax and i think that works really well it matches the tone of the visuals because like what we were saying about that environment is it's absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful, but that's a great word for it. It is otherworldly. So to have the soundscape match that I think is really, you know, it really scratches its own back. It's 
very well done. But like I said, I have no melodic hook. There's no simple melody that I'm thinking of, but there's a feel that I can feel in my body that, that came from the sound of this movie. Yeah, there, there's something... I'm trying to remember lots of the music too. There's, there's something that's... I know some scenes of it, it was kind of like proto John Carpenter synth score. There was like a pulsing like... Yes. You know, mm. the tension was building. Um, and I think it was quite, yeah, it was quite um, subtle. You know, the, the score, it didn't, in, in most scenes, it didn't try and punch me in the face or anything. It was just kind of there supporting the mood. Mm-hmm. I, try yeah, to, I think support's uh, the right word, because oftentimes a, a score will will tell you how to feel, and it'll almost coach you into how to feel. And, I, and I'd much rather it, it sort of support the material and and you're already feeling that way and then it drives the point home as opposed to the opposite. Like, like I know Hitchcock didn't want music in the birds because he wanted any sudden influx of bird attacks to happen without warning. And oftentimes, you know, he, he is right. Oftentimes you start to hear the score and any sort of, sca- you're, you're ready. You're like, okay, I'm ready for something terrifying to happen. But to have it be the opposite where it's like, okay, I'm freaked out. And then the music hits and it thrums and it, and it really drives home that fear is infinitely more effective. And I think that was achieved, uh, achieved here quite, quite prominently. Yeah, I, I recall we, we did have some, some sound that meant Cthulhu's arrived. But, but I think to your point, Dan, we, we, that happened after Cthulhu's arrived. You know, it's about, he, yeah, he's mm-hmm. here, but as you've already noticed, you know, it was some sort of, hum or gong or something i can't remember the actual sound now it was a long time ago but there was some I, I, we discussed with tom it was a it was a cthulhu's arrived tone that, that he all he put in there and it's kind of it's probably really subtle that you'd have to listen to hear it but it's definitely in there unless you forgot yeah i think it more serves to rather than warn you that like rather than be like oh here comes a scary part it just kind of almost subconsciously primes you into that mode yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it was Kind of, kind of inspired by, but the opposite of actually Hellraiser. You know where they had the tinkly bells when the Cenobites came. It's like it's like really kind of beautiful noise. It's like oh, the Cenobites are coming now. <laughs> this is like the tinkly yeah. bell. But we, we want the Cthulhu doorbell to be after he'd arrived. <laughs> he arrives and then rings the doorbell. <laughs> it's like it it heralds the entrance rather than than telegraphs it. And I think yeah. that's an important distinction. Yeah. You know, to have a theme that happens you know, at the arrival is one thing. To have a theme that says, okay, clench your butt cheeks, here it comes, it, that's, that's a different thing and I think is a weaker thing. And so you're on, you're, on the, you're on the right side of it to have it be sort of the sound that heralds the arrival. I, uh, Andy, I did try to Google the Lovecraft album and all I'm getting is that there is an actual band called HP Lovecraft that released a bunch of psychedelic music in the 60s and 70s. Uh, including an album called Valley of the Moon that people seem to uh, do. No, it was it, 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 it's a really well-known kind of like synthwave band. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'll text Tor now if you can find his text number. Uh-huh. Uh, there we go. And see how quickly he responds. We're going for. Uh, yeah, if you ask me a question, I'll try and multitask. No, no, you're fine. I, I'm, I'm also doing some googling here on that as well. I've got, I've got uh, the old ones. I've got Star Spawn, Cosmic Horror, Gunship, all, all kinds Gunship's of. Gunship's uh, a great synth, name. Synth wave coming through here. Uh, well, but, while you're looking up that, completely unrelated. You know what I stumbled across last night? You know that that pasta company, Barilla, B-A-R-I-L-L-A, like the Blue Box Pasta. Yeah. They have a Spotify account. And their Spotify account is just playlists of the specific amount of time it takes to cook each version of their pasta. So they have like a fusilli playlist. And if you want to boil fusilli, you put it in and then you hit play. And when the playlist is done, then you know that the pasta is done. And I stumbled across that last night. And as someone who's a pretty, uh, uh, I, I very frequently eat pasta. I was very pleased to find this. Especially because, like, one of the playlists has a lot of, like, Jay-Z unplugged and, like, just weird shit. But, yeah, so <laughs> very wild. So unrelated, but put that in your brains and think about it. <laughs> uh, Andy, I, I did remember something I wanted to ask you, which is, did have you put any thought to, and I, I'm just curious, is, um, is Emma's baby in danger now? Like, is, is Emma's baby 
next on the uh, on the list? Like, Ooh. does she have to spend her life running from these people? Um, I I think no. Um, well, I think not necessarily. It, it's okay. kind of you know, it, it's at the whim of Cthulhu <laughs> what he wants oh, to sure. do. Sure. Okay. Um, probably tall answering the question. Yes. It was Tangerine Dream. Zeit. Oh, okay. You nailed it. Right you, on. You, threw, you threw us off the scent. <laughs> yeah. Yo, big, big fans Huge of fans. Tangerine Dream on this show. Uh, <laughs> sorcerer, thief, all that shit. Oh, yeah. They did the thief, right? Yeah, they're thief. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the Zeit album, as in Zeitgeist. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> nice. That, that was Tor's inspiration. That, that makes sense now that you say it. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you yeah, asked. That actually, that like this is all like clicking into place now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, so we were talking. Yes. So, yeah. So, so the whim of Cthulhu. It could be because if you think that Barbara's husband was chosen, but yeah, had all around. You know. So I think it's whatever the the cosmic gods decide for fun at that instant. <laughs> I got you. I got you. That's interesting. Okay, and if correct me if I'm wrong, there is sort of a suggestion too that like within this this community there is some inclination to go against Cthulhu because even like Isaac's family's departure, you know, at the beginning of the story seems to have been facilitated by greasing some palms with, uh, we'll say, favors, you know, to the to the ferryman and things like that. That there is some element of small resistance to to Cthulhu that allowed them to escape, yeah, uh, initially. Well, but but I don't know. I'd have to rewatch. Yeah, I mean, nobody really wants to be in this cult, you know. And and Gun- yeah, Gunnar, yeah. we made Gunnar quite ambiguous, but but the actor, uh, you know, that actor who played him really embraced that, and he and he really likes Isaac at the end. And you might you might notice, but as as he's helping the climax to happen, he's crying because he. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like that moment where she confronts him, and he's like, "This is a different situation than it was forever ago." You know, quid pro quo. What do I get? You know, that, that was yeah. a really intense moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, fascinating. Now I really want to watch it again after having spoken to you, just to like pick up on more that I missed. Yeah, and really, and his the idea of his character is kind of. Because of the situation they're in, they aren't really adults in a way. You know, they, they, aren't, they aren't in control of their own lives in any way. So it's kind of a bit like a schoolyard. And so Gunnar is the school bully. You know, he's, yeah. you know, he, he, he's the, what, what can he do? He, he can't set the rules, but he can bully the other kids in the playground. And really, that's what he does. But he kind of quite likes Isaac. That's really interesting. Yeah, he's just on like a power trip. Yeah. I mean, even at the beginning when there's resistance at the bar before they know his lineage... I, I guess there's a read of that too. That there's almost a like, uh, like there's a warning there. That's like, listen, tourist, get out, get out while you can. And yeah. then you know when Isaac says, "Oh, but I am who I am," it's like, no, you know, stay, stay. <laughs> we have a job for you. You know, that's uh, mm-hmm. and that scene will read differently now, knowing what it all leads to. So I, I'm actually very eager to watch this again. Yeah, I mean that was the idea. I mean, it's very. Yeah, they are school bullies, and it is the classic small town hate strangers. But they also, you know, want them to leave as soon as possible for for, for more. I don't know if the word is generous, but for for more kind of genuine reasons that you know they hate strangers, mm-hmm. but they don't want that. You know, they don't want anything. They don't want anybody else to be kind of caught up in this terrible situation. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, fascinating. Sorry, my cat is at the door screaming at me. <laughs> All right, uh, Andy, what? She's uh, out there just screaming. You are you uh, you working on anything? Like, what's uh, what's on the horizon? Yeah, we, we've got um, we've, we've we've been doing a bunch of promotion on this recently. Like, yes, and it comes out in the UK next week and oh, the UK great. A month ago, and then there's a few others. So, so you know, we, we're doing a lot of work for this. Um, the movie I said that we almost got funded. And then that fell through, and we shot this. That's almost funded again, uh, which Sean's working on. So, Good. with any luck, when we can fly to Utah, one second, yeah. my, my phone's about to die. When we can fly to Utah, we'll go and shoot that. So, ho- hopefully, we'll get funding in time. Yeah, and that's um. Yeah, that's fine. 
you mentioned Sean. That's your producer, right? Do I have that right? Is yep. it Sean Knopp? Nep? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, so it sounds like a, a U.S. set film, or at least shooting um, in the U.S.? Yeah, it, it's, it's in an unnamed western small town, um, yeah. but it's shot in a place called Payson, Utah, which is, which is um, like, a really, <laughs> that was a lucky find. It's kind of, it's near Provo, like the, the Mormon center, mm-hmm. but but Payson, it's kind of like really, it looks it looks great for a movie in that it's completely unplanned, you know. And there'll be like a modern house next to this ramshackle old house, and then the next <laughs> lot of two buses like scratching in the dirt, you know. So it just looks kind of like timeless. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ooh. and like the guy, the, the guy who was helping me do location scouting there, he took me to the next town. It was really pretty and Stepford Wives, you know, and, and everything else is really modern. But like Pace, it's like Wild West. Yeah, you know, it's so, very interesting. So yeah, there's a saloon and a general store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it's got a, a mountain backdrop, you know, oh, and the, yeah, and just a giant Mormon church in the middle that we'll need to frame out. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, Utah's got some really, really beautiful views, and a lot of it extremely cinematic. I mean, that is just a beautiful, beautiful area. I want to hike Utah so bad. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's supposed to be set in. I mean, the, the stories, the original story. We, I mean, this wasn't like Men of the Cloth. This, you know, we, we basically copied the entire story that this is based on. It was a novel called The German by a writer called Lee Thomas. And all we did, we took it from a World War II setting to a today setting. Um, Interesting. I feel like I've heard of that. That was set in in Texas. Um, And and kind of Payson looks a bit West Texas. You know, Mm -hmm. what was the film called? Uh, Cold in in July or something? Oh, the Jim Mickle movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks really like That's a great flick. Yeah. It's got the same yeah, thing. there is a certain like stereotypical old west look that is not uh not specific to any one location. It's just kind of the look that we've all assumed. I mean, we did a, a western uh, a western on our show last week, and it was a, a spaghetti western, as it were. And uh, you know, it was Mexico and Texas by way of Italy. I think uh, you said it in the uh, the episode description, Garrett. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we there's no specificity to what an old west uh, area is, but there is some ideas as to what it could look like. And it's you know, you can find that in Utah and in Texas. You can find it in Arizona and Nevada. You can find it in Italy. It's uh, it's wild. <laughs> Yeah, just don't show any road signs in Italy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're good to go. <laughs> um, so, Andy, where where can uh, people find you on the internet? I mean, I know right now, uh, you know, for the U.S. audience, sacrifice is available right now. I rented it on. Um, I think I rented it on Amazon when I when I watched it. Um, and uh, you said it's coming out in the U.K. this week. Uh, I think next week. Um, next week. I'm, I think so. Yeah, it's, cool. it was definitely March. <laughs> yeah, okay, good, good. Is where we are now, uh, and <laughs> and we had the flurry of like interviews and stuff, which have now finished. So I guess it's, I guess I guess they were getting ready for release, and then it's out in Scandinavia soon. Um, so we'll, we'll see what they think of uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. of how we d- depict their, uh, their their location, and then <laughs> hopefully other places. Uh, but yeah. I can't remember. Epic in dealing with that and dread. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something interesting. My uh, my girlfriend is a very big fan of uh, the Boulay brothers who do that show Dragula. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do like spooky horror-themed drag. Really impressive stuff. And they have a podcast where they were talking about Sacrifice. And she asked me, she was like, do you know about this movie? It's got Barbara Crampton in it. And I was like, do I know about it? I know the people who made it. <laughs> and so... Uh, it is getting some press over here pretty pretty prominently because they're, you know, the Boulay brothers are related to Shudder. Um, they were tied to Fangoria for a while before the Cinestate split. Like, it's uh, there's certainly uh, quite a bit of interest in your film and films like it. So I, I think that uh, you could stand to uh, see some some pretty good success, uh, at least on, on our side of the pond. Good, good. Yeah, it seems to be doing really well. Yeah, and I think Dread and Epic have been doing a great job of promoting it yeah uh, it was easy to find and I, i've been seeing it kind of floating around everywhere like i did you know i know you but i didn't know about this movie until a trailer floated into my twitter feed and not because you put it out you know what i mean like it so 
uh, they, they are doing a good job getting it out there. Where, and then where can people find you, Andy, uh, if anybody wants to uh, find you? Yeah, my, my social media, I'm only on Twitter. And, well, I've got Facebook, but I hardly use it. Twitter, it's Loose Cannon Films. Uh, Cannon with one N in the middle, like uh, like, like the camera company. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tor and Sean, Hydra Films, their company, they're on uh, Instagram, probably under Hydra Films. Cool. Right. Right. Uh, well, thanks for your time here today, man. This was great. It was really nice yeah, to talk yes, to you for a little delight. while. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed talking about the movie. Okay, cool. I enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me on. Hopefully the next one will be quicker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we can hope for that as well. <laughs> be great. Uh, Dan, why don't we do the closing really quick here, and then, uh, Andy, we'll, we'll catch up with you just on the other side of this call in a second, okay? Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, so people can find us on the internet everywhere at I Like 2 Movie. It's Numeric 2. Uh, you can find me everywhere uh, at Philadelphia. That's with an F, Letterboxd, Twitter, all that stuff. And uh, we're on MovieJohn.com now. Yep. Yeah. I like to movie movie is proud to be included in the uh, movie John podcast network. Uh, you can find me at Dan Scully on all of the things. Check out moviejohn.com. You can check out findy.com for some words from me as well. And uh, check out my other show, Hot Property, which is available on Spotify. And uh, thanks again to uh, Andy Collier for uh, for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, my name is Garrett Smith and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. Give it a shout, Andy. Uh, my name's Andy Collier, and I love to movie movie. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Yeah, stepping uh, it up. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we like, like to, to movie. movie. <laughs>